Hello and welcome to the Arrow Video Podcast with Sam and Dan. My name is Dan Martin, special effects artist and podcaster, and I am joined as ever by my lovely co-host... Sam Ashurst. I'm a writer, I'm a director, and I am very excited to be talking about our first and definitely not our last, because we're doing another one next week for a start, uh, (laughs) Shaw Brothers movie, Crippled Avengers, which is my choice for the fortnight. And next time we're going to be talking about Dan's pick from the Shaw Brothers box set, which is uh, the main reason we're doing all of this. Arrow has just released an incredible, incredible, beautiful, (laughs) uh, meticulous box set. But yeah, I'm sure we'll we'll talk about that over the course of the next month. This episode isn't going to last a month. I just mean over the course of the next two episodes. I'm going to stop talking. Dan, please give us the plot of crippled avengers hello sam hi <laughs> the oh my goodness uh, it's been a very long time since i've crippled, seen crippled avengers crippled avengers is a sort of golden era shore movie it's from the late 70s 1978 specifically directed by chang che who was the million dollar director he was their sort of cash cow for a long time it's loosely one of the five venoms films which were named after the first film that these actors were in and then every time they all appeared together it was sort of i mean there's no narrative connection between them so it's one of the five venoms movies and ostensibly it starts with some uh, ne'er-do-wells turning up at a dude's house to to dick with him but he's not there so they decide to cut his wife's legs off and his kid's arms off which led to one of my favorite bits of this uh, screening because in a very rare moment of lack of foresight i think on her part jen decided to watch this one with me and when they cut the wife's legs off jen went oh wow for real <laughs> when they showed the wife like there with her legs off um anyway so the the guy comes home his wife's dead his kid hasn't got any arms he's legit you know justifiably cross he makes two promises that day one he will have his revenge and two he's gonna get a blacksmith to make his son some bitch and metal arms and and he makes good on both of those he, he goes out and he murders all the people responsible for for, for messing up his family mm. and uh, even even his... some people who aren't responsible well well we'll get to that okay yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh and and he does make good and get his son a bunch of badass metal arms and then he says he says look i've i've got the kids of the guys who messed up your mum, messed up your your arms, and I've trained them in martial arts, and now you can cripple them because that's like the the best. And and like even if you've got like a super fucked up opinion about revenge and the validity of vengeance and all that kind of stuff, all that's within the parameters of like cinematic acceptability. But then they proceed to totally undermine the uh, status they've got as wronged individuals by just being like world class dicks to everybody. <laughs> they're they're maiming left and fucking right. Some of it's as simple as like a pock of your eyes, <laughs> uh, and uh, like but but it's always like. It's always paired with a quip. It's like, huh, I, I don't see this. And he's like, you won't see anything. Like, you know, bad, bad quips, uh, fun, bad quips. Uh, therefore, I will blind you. I just want uh, to quickly interject here to reassure the precious arrowheads. It does sound like Dan is giving you the entire plot of the movie. Oh, no, we're like five minutes in. <laughs> exactly. This film this is... feels like at least 23 films in one. Like, oh, it packs so much happens. It in so much yeah, yeah no i won't i won't go into this level of detail beyond the, the first like not yeah. even the first act yeah like, first the, like 10 the, minutes the, yeah. 
yeah the uh the preface of the film yeah so it, it extends from like moments of like brief and spur of the moment brutality like blinding people deafening people etc all the way up to like quite heavily considered torture like putting someone's head in a vice and closing it until they are quote an imbecile <laughs> a bunch of the surviving victims of this new wave of crippling evil band together initially to escape the town and the clutches of this bad dick and then they all train together and decide to go back and have their revenge which initially they're not super like psyched about but the guy that trained them's like no no i've got beef with him as well so you have to and they're like yeah fine all right we'll do it and that's the bulk of the film is their journey to vengeance that's it that's it and we should mention obviously or, or briefly touch on the fact it is called crippled avengers and and that word is used kind of within the film and so whenever we're referring to it we're not just throwing around the word it's because it's it's part of the movie and this was the title under which i first saw it yeah so. and yeah it's the, it's the title in the box set and obviously there are alternate titles i think return of the five venoms is one of them as dan mentioned but this really isn't a venoms movie all right well well now we've kind of covered that dan can you also give a potted history of Shaw Studios. I know you can do it with no preparation whatsoever. Oh my goodness, yes, I hadn't prepared this. <laughs> the Shaw Brothers Studio, they, before they became what we think of now, they did a bunch of sort of melodrama and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff early on. And it wasn't the, the cinematic success that they were. China was quite a late uptaker of television. And initially, they, they had sort of a cable system really early on. And so there was a lot of cinema attendance. It was it was very affordable. And one of the things that the Shaws wanted to do when they started what we think of as the Shaw Brothers films was making films for not just Hong Kong, but, but all of China and, and also expats, like Chinese people outside of China to watch these movies. And they... They, I mean, they really kind of took the world by storm. They they put these movies out. They they hit success with sort of early like sort of waxier stuff, and then they moved into to this more sort of like fantastic sort of martial arts stuff. It, it was more sort of sword play stuff to begin with, and then it moved into the kung fu a little bit later. Mm-hmm. And they really did define like sort of Asian cinema for a, a good period of time mm. before they finally sort of lost their crown to Golden Harvest, I guess. But the the sheer volume of stuff that they put out, the reliable quality. There's a few duds in there throughout but for the most part you know the that logo that warner brothers ripoff logo that you saw at the beginning of kill bill and that that you know fans of the studio we're very very familiar with is a solid guarantee of at least fun i think i've seen one film that i thought was was a bit boring <laughs> out of all of the Shaw brothers films i've seen and in fact i think you and i sam watched it together it was a water margin adaptation <laughs> yeah 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 i guess it's also important to mention that they had this insane soundstage I think it's like 10 10 soundstage sized uh, movie town studio that they yeah. kind of built in the, the early 60s and they just churned out movies like crazy like 40 films a year at, at one point and and yeah I, I think one of the reasons we're talking about it now is the in the late 70s they kind of crossed over into the states in a big way with 36 chamber of shaolin that was kind of the big crossover movie right i know yeah um, that was huge yeah, exactly. I, I mean, there was King Boxer as well, uh, or Five Fingers of Death. But yeah, 36 Chamber of Shaolin was the real kind of breakthrough one. And it's just become a kind of part of pop culture. Like Dan says, you know, you've got the Tarantino Kill Bill thing. But also, uh, if you're into music, if you're into hip hop, the Wu-Tang Clan um, based their entire identity around Shaw Brothers movies and, and sampled loads of those films. So 
yeah, if if you like that music and you're new to the movies, you'll recognise so many lines and like... Oh, so many... So- well, if you're watching the dubs. Yes, that's true, actually. That's a really good point. But you will also recognise like the very specific sword clash sound effect that they use. Oh, yeah. Um, which has been sampled, you know, in, in loads of different places. But yeah, just considering the, the fact that they were being churned out, these are absolutely incredible beautiful movies right yeah they're incredible they're luxurious their art like... the, the artistry across the board yeah. like the beauty of the production design and the costumes and the choreography like it just combines so many incredible art forms to create really really pure entertaining movies yeah it's they're they're absolutely gorgeous i think mm-hmm. aside from the the studio they also built a bunch of exterior sets and if you watch a lot of their movies and you sort mm. of take note of the years that they were built in, you'll see recurrent sets. <laughs> yeah. You'll you'll go, oh, I know this bridge. <laughs> this bridge yes. was from uh, Return of One-Armed Swordsman. Exactly. All right, fair enough. <laughs> like they'd build a big piece, like a big set for a set piece of a movie. And then by God, they get their money's worth out of it. Absolutely. Um, and that's the, that's the thing. Like it's... It's sort of a weird mix between the old Hollywood system where most of the actors were on the payroll, most of the directors, cameramen, editors, etc. were all on the payroll. They're all salaried staff. You just turn up to work and you fucking do it. Like the stunt teams would be working on four or five films at once. Like until later on, and we'll talk about this more uh, next episode when, when sort of outside influences started to creep in. But from the 60s through to like the sort of the mid late 70s it was really like a factory and it combined the old mm-hmm. hollywood ethos with kind of almost like a roger corman kind of thing like particularly in the marketing department with all these crazy names being thrown on stuff like you'll often find that a movie that you knew by one name is actually had like three or four other names maybe you know as sam said return of the five venoms is also crippled avengers is also you know whatever and it's because the marketing department was just fucking like coming up with ideas and and, and like crazy things they're like oh well this was successful let's call it that let's let's name it after that so there is this sort of cynicism on the financial side but there's so much fun being had there's so much like raw talent there that it was difficult not to make great and enjoyable films exactly absolutely and just one last note on this one of the things i love about these movies is that seasons are very important in them and like weather you know and it's partly to denote the passing of time because often you know, there'll be uh, training sections in these films, like training montages and, and that kind of thing. But also, I think it's because they reused so many sets. Using seasons and weather like snow was a way to kind of make everything look a bit different. Yeah. And yeah, it's beautiful. It's really beautiful. Like I think of um, One-Armed Swordsman, which may come up in my recommendations. And, and the snow sequence in that, like the snow fight in that, it's just absolutely wonderful i love these movies so so much and i'm so excited to talk about them and yeah crippled avengers is one of my my favorites it's why i chose it i was so excited to see it appear in the set because it is a kind of slightly under the radar one it's not you know in the pantheon of like top 10 shores um for most people i I wouldn't say but there's just so much going on in this film and it's funny and the choreography like like the sequence with the 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 training with the leaves for example oh lovely there's just so many 
wonderful ideas really beautifully delivered in this film and, and the movie isn't minutes old before we have our first crash zoom which is a stylistic choice that carries over a lot of these Shaw Brothers movies yeah Chang Chae loved a, loved a crash zoom he really did he's almost almost as much as Jess Ranko <laughs> exactly and and uh, Tarantino cribbing from Chang Chae and Jess Ranko yeah <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I love them I've got one in, in Hell's Garden why are crash zooms so great Dan why do we like them so much I mean I think they're evocative of mm-hmm. a of a bygone era I think that there are probably audience members who don't get the same like ex- kick of excitement from them that we do right yeah yeah <laughs> um like I would yeah I the the sort of the that they they the there's a reason for them which is mm-hmm. that changing lenses takes a bit of time and when you're making this many films a exactly. month you don't have time for setups. You just get it all in one fucking. So you don't put primes on. It's all about zooms, baby. Like you've probably got a three fright, a three lens mount on the front of your camera, mm-hmm. and they've all got zooms on them. <laughs> that's it, and and uh, actually that ties it to Jess Franco very nicely. Who was well, that's often, literally what Franco was doing. Yeah, know? where he was he was making like three films at once, and often not telling the actors or the producers that's what he was doing. You know, he just oh, yeah. like tell people to stand in a corner and say dialogue that felt completely unrelated to what they were doing at the time um because yeah, yeah, it he'd was take the take the money for it he'd get finance for a picture and he'd tell the producers that it cost that much and then secretly he'd make two other films at the yeah, same time exactly. with the same cast and the same money and then he'd keep those and he'd own the rights to those yeah. and he'd sell them separately <laughs> brilliant absolutely brilliant i think there's something in this in trying to make 40 movies in a year what is that if not a slate and a and yeah. a little bit of criminal activity <laughs> uh, and it and that and that does that kind of echoes the old studio system and i i miss yeah. that like yeah. you know so often i'm recommending like old black and white studio pictures pre-code mm-hmm. pictures you know all that kind of stuff from america like i love that and i you know countries outside of america don't have the same like superstar like system that america has that they've really driven that in the world and there are examples of it elsewhere but nowhere else are people getting like you know 25 million a picture mm. it's fucking crazy and mm. i get that the films are making that money but i feel like it should be a it should be more evenly split amongst the crew and i don't just say that as a member of the crew because i've not worked on it like you know i've not really done any stuff on not of note on any of those massive massive pictures mm. but it just seems fucking insane that that person like anyone who's set foot on a on a set knows that oh, fuck I don't know I don't, I, I'm 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 not grumbling I just what I'm doing is I'm saying how much I love the old system and mm. I don't want these actors to be indentured servants like there was some no. fucked up stuff going on in old Hollywood as well yeah but the studio stuff whether it's the old Hollywood studios or the Shaw Brothers studios like I love that system. Where everyone's yeah. in it together, everyone's like a family, and I'm definitely rose-tinting this Of right course, now. <laughs> of course. But uh, there's some truth to it. There is some truth to it. You know, there was bad stuff back then, but there was good stuff happening too. You know, people, Absolutely. they weren't as worried about their careers if they were into it, if that makes sense. Like, yeah. um, And some incredible work got done across the board within that system. You know, so, so many great movies. And, and it's the same with The Shores. You know, the, these are works of art generally, these don't look like cheap movies. Generally, they don't feel like movies that have been rushed. Kind of the opposite, because you look at Crippled Avengers and there's so much going on in this film. It's not just doing the basics to deliver a plot that goes from A to B to C. There's just so many beautiful ideas. And yes, you know, it's it's 
politically incorrect and, and so on. And yeah, I'm, I'm wondering how you felt on this rewatch because we watched this one together, Dan. I don't know if you remember, but yeah, 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 yeah. we had an absolute riot watching it the first time. How did you feel watching yeah, it this time? It, it, it is, it is a lot of fun, but you do have to kind of like push down yeah. <laughs> your. <laughs> your um your more liberal modern views maybe yeah uh, to get full enjoyment out of it it's problematic in some ways mm-hmm. i certainly don't think anything comes from a place of hate or exactly. you know there's nothing derogatory in it yeah so i think it it, it it certainly sort of like swerves some of the criticism that could could be leveled at it i think the the one place where it's it's a little i mean it, it uses the r word <laughs> to refer to yeah the, the guy who's had his head crushed to mm-hmm. imbecility which is you know obviously a little jarring in modern context mm-hmm. and and i would say that his depiction is probably the most problematic but it's also one of the ones that's I th- maybe that's the because it's the one that's played for laughs the mm-hmm. most and, and often effectively as well like if you're not being if you sort of forget to be offended he's you know he's a very good actor he's got great comic timing and the things he's doing are funny uh, yeah it's and, and the, his level the, of the background of the character is is offensive his level of athleticism is kind of insane like his oh, movement it's great it's just yeah it's stunning really and yeah i don't find even you know a tiny bit of of hatred or cynicism in, in this film like I just find the whole thing really joyous. It feels like a celebration yeah, as opposed yeah. to like a castigation. So, yeah. But I, you know, obviously I wanted to to ask about that because I know that that can be a struggle um, for you. That kind of stuff. I, well, I'll I'll deal with that to some extent in my recommendations. <laughs> oh, nice, excellent, excellent. The music. We should touch on the music before we kind of move on to extras. I think it's excellent. It, for me, it has the same kind of epic feel as Godzilla, even though you know Godzilla is Japanese, but it has that vibe for me. And there's a CD that's included with this box set and um, yeah. it has music from, from this film and from Dirty Hur as well, I think, which is the, the movie we're going to be doing in a fortnight. Um, which, coincidentally, you know, Dan and I just kind of picked films random based on like what we wanted to cover. But we accidentally created a pretty cool double bill because Dirty Hur really has... Uh, a parody of this film within it but we'll we'll get on to that next time another reason i wanted to do crippled avengers is that it has a mini documentary in the extras about chang chair um who is one of the Fantastic. greatest directors ever yeah. not just in terms of the directors who work for shaw studios but literally ever hugely influential on everyone from john woo to george lucas and this is a, a lovely little tribute to an artist who really should be a household name how how did you find this documentary um, i really really liked it it's mm. great it dealt with a lot of stuff that i've so the stuff i've like sort of investigated with about the shaw brothers other than just watching the movies has largely been period documentaries mm-hmm. uh stuff shot at the time so sort of like 70s stuff which is always very like sort of like you know when you have a, a bad brit in a 90s like early 90s late 80s hong kong action film mm-hmm. it's like they're narrating it and and like i've, I've seen a couple that i yeah. i fucking hated because yeah. they're really snide yeah about exactly hong yeah. kong cinema as well mm-hmm. but like so they're all period even the even the local ones and they're always made by english people and so they've got that kind of angle to them and then i've read a lot of sort of like dry academia about the shaw brothers but that's always been about like the structure of it and the studio and the the cheng che documentary was really really interesting because it kind of it it sort of deconstructed what he wanted to be dealing with and Mm. but not just like 
consciously what he said he was doing but also the themes that other people who've not just watched like loads of these films like sam and i have but have watched all of them in order made a note about how they play to each other how they cross over mm. like at a much more academic depth than we've mm-hmm. done mm-hmm. and and it deals with stuff like there's a, a moment i don't want to spoil it but there's a moment where they talk about him being like furious at a question because someone has watched his oeuvre and gone eh, there's a lot of this mm-hmm. <laughs> and asked him a question and he's uh, he's just sort of stormed out of an interview and it's like, oh, fuck, yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Like, like he's de- he's dealing with stuff. We're all dealing with stuff. Anyone who makes art is processing mm-hmm. things. Um, exactly. And it's, yeah, it's really interesting to to get a sort of a, a, a good insight into it from that side as well, mm-hmm. as, a, as a collective. Yeah, yeah, love it. Yeah, I think that's probably it on Crippled Avengers, though I will say if you're into the actual Avengers as dan mentioned it, it it has a guy with iron armor who can shoot projectiles from his hands it does make him look a little bit like an 80s action figure but it's still cool as fuck um, i love his flat fingertips yeah yeah god i love this film so much it's such a blast so yeah if you haven't got the box set yet just get it honestly every disc in this set is is magnificent oh. Um, but if you have bought it and you haven't um, put on crippled avengers yet possibly because of the name um do give it a try and um, if you have watched it but you haven't delved into the extra features yeah there you then go. yeah they are beautiful yeah um one thing i want to ask you sam is there official reference as to whether steward wan's meteor hammer is is the official reference point for the the meteor hammer in kill bill or is that more general? Do we know that? Oh, I don't know, but I wouldn't be surprised if, um, yeah, if it was a reference for sure. All right. Well, on if that yeah. anticlimax, <laughs> we're going to move <laughs> on to recommendations. Well, let's not do an anticlimax. Let's talk about the that amazing drum sequence briefly. We can talk about it slightly obliquely because it's later on in the film. Yes, it's very late on in the film. <laughs> But, but yeah. Oh my the that is when our imbecile character shines and sort of yeah. saves the day yeah. rather than being a thorn in the side of the rest of the uh, of the the characters. Yeah. And it is an absolute delight. It they is. almost like the fact that his special power is like cheeky impishness. Yeah. That that's uh, it, that's exactly it. That's kind of saves the character, I think. Yeah, exactly. That's why I find it so joyous. That's a real kind of it's almost a cathartic moment. Um, yeah, watch out for that one, Precious Arrowheads. But we're going to say no more on that because that is kind yeah. of third act stuff. But Dan, why don't you go first on the old recommendations? What have you got for us this fortnight? So my first recommendation, Sam, and I know you love it when I do this, is a double bill. Yay! So <laughs> my way of... It should be a triple bill, but I've not seen the third film in the series, so I can't in all consciousness recommend it. Mm-hmm. But if you liked Crippled Avengers, but like me we're a little bit uncomfortable at very very like acrobatically proficient able-bodied people playing people with physical disabilities then maybe you should check out the amazing crippled masters trilogy (laughs) i will say that the crippled masters trilogy does not have the sets and the locations or the budget or even maybe the directorial chops of the Shaw Brothers. But Chilo, directing Crippled Masters in 79. Yao Sao, directing Two Crippled Heroes in 1980, which is the way I came to this trilogy. That was the first one I saw. Or the third one, which I can't remember the name of because I've never seen it. They're three films made with the same leads. They're not actually like 
again like the venoms thing we were talking about they're not narratively linked but they're the same they're the same two leads so you got chow ming kang and uh, and Sung Chan Shen, who play the titular crippled masters in the first one, crippled heroes in the second one. Now, one of these gentlemen has no arms, uh, and the other gentleman has unusable legs, like lower legs from the knee down. And so each film takes the format of narratively justifying the the the, the missing or, or or damaged limbs, and then uh, it has a f- uh, a training format where these two guys, who in real life were pretty great and acrobatic would learn martial arts would be trained and then again would have a revenge arc as well i've only ever seen them dubbed and they are amusingly dubbed so <laughs> that definitely made them uh, more accessible but yeah they're, they're they're great fun 1979 1980 and i think the the third one is either 81 or 82 so they were all made in pretty quick succession number two does have a trained monkey in it as well so that you know if that elevates it but yeah so they're they're films with genuine disabled martial arts performers who were, were sort of front and centered celebrated as uh, for their abilities and it's they're well, not the best made films. They're a lot of fun. Excellent. Yeah, that that sounds awesome. I, I uh, have yet to see any of those. so um, They're all on YouTube. <laughs> ah, of course they are. Excellent. All right. Well, I am going to go from that into uh, an, another Shaw Brothers movie. It's another Chang Che movie. It's probably my favorite Shaw Brothers film. It is The One-Armed Swordsman from 1967, which is an insanely important and very entertaining film. When a young martial arts student has his arm cut off by evil rivals, he starts a journey of self-discovery as well as overcoming physical and emotional adversity in a story that can operate as an analogy for finding strength to overcome all sorts of struggles. And yeah, the fact that our hero wields his father's broken sword in the film is the the snow falling on the metaphorical water it is beautiful i love 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 this movie and if there's anyone out there who's still a fan of star wars though i sense those numbers are diminishing in recent years but this has that original trilogy feel possibly because george lucas totally ripped it off you will see shots in this that you will have seen before in in star wars yeah the one-armed swordsman it's a masterpiece i am praying it's in the next arrow shaw brothers set in volume two please 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 arrow find a way to to throw this into that set because yeah it's just such a wonderful film Dan, I know you love the one-armed swordsman as well. Yeah, I absolutely do. I I kind of decided not to recommend any Shaw Brothers films. I did the opposite this this week and next week, (laughs) next time. Okay, well, this is, I mean, it's a go-to, it's a perennial uh, Mm favourite. One-armed swordsman is absolutely amazing. Yeah. Um, The whole trilogy is incredible. One-armed swordsman 2, is it Return? Return of one-armed swordsman? Yeah, it's it's one-armed swordsman Return and then New, isn't it? Yeah. So I think it's New that has the bridge that I mentioned earlier. Yeah. Uh, 2 is one of the best Ah, they're making these weapons up now movies from the Shaw Cannon, which I love so much. One of my favourite yeah. Shaw motifs is, is ah, it's like ah, it's like a hat, but it's got knives on it. Yeah, t- tonally quite different from the first one, but... Um, oh, yes. It's kind of like the Evil Dead 2 to um, One Armed Swordsman's Evil Dead, but um, yeah, another Which one of the things film. I liked about the uh, the, Ip, the recent It Man films, mm-hmm. uh, I didn't like number three and I didn't bother with number four, but one is super dark historical fiction like historical like not fiction non-fiction that's the word like super like violent and effective and great and then the second one's basically a comedy and that immediately made me think of the one-armed swordsman trajectory yeah absolutely yeah yeah 
And we should kind of maybe mention that it stars Jimmy Wang Yu, uh, one arm swordsman, and Amazing. who who ended up leaving the Shaw brothers. And Run Run Shaw was so pissed off that he immediately found a replacement and renamed him. Was it Wang Yu? Um, yeah. And he appears in Dirty Her. So that's another kind of um, connection between this episode and, and next episode. Um, can you tell that I'm trying to push people to to listen to both of these, Dan? I feel like if people are going to listen to one Shaw Brothers <laughs> podcast from us, they're going to listen to both. Like my my only reticence about doing two of these is I feel that Shaw falls like like outside of the OG Arrow brief. Mm-hmm. Now, anyone who is dismissing this for that reason, a I feel safe saying this because they haven't got this far in the podcast, and b they're wrong and they're idiots. <laughs> Another thing that I think can sometimes put off listeners is, um, in fact, I know this is the case. I've spoken to a couple of um, listeners in kind of recent weeks and they listen to the movies that they've seen. So they're more likely to listen to your Robocops and American Wealth in London. Yeah, that, I mean, that makes sense. I feel mm. like we go to extreme lengths not to spoil stuff. Like other podcasts that I like and listen to do like go through the whole film beat by beat right to the end. And as a result, I have no choice but not to listen to the ones when I haven't seen the film. And sometimes that means I'll go and watch the film. But sometimes it means I don't listen to the episode. Like ever, I forget about the film and then I don't watch it. Well, we're we're definitely talking to the wrong arrowheads with this because if if you're listening to this precious arrowhead, then then you are prepared to um, to potentially uh hear about Either films you've you seen haven't it, seen yeah exactly or or you're, you're you cool as care. fuck yeah actually you're cool as fuck if you've watched it already so i don't know what i'm saying here you're just cool as fuck it, thank you it's for just automatically cool as fuck if you've uh, got this far in this particular podcast that's yes. the metric by which all podcasts are based yes yeah that that's all we're saying thank you so much for listening and we promise to be more professional next time dan Bye. What, <laughs> <laughs> what is your what's your next recommendation please so my next recommendation is not a martial arts film oh and it's a film i've already talked about on the podcast although it was a recommendation oh. back when i stumbled across it rather than like based on anything and it's mm. purely because it's based around physical disability and if you need like a little palate cleanser after any feeling of discomfort after watching Crumbled Avengers, Javier Fesser's uh, Championess from 2018, still hasn't been fucking released in England, hmm. is an a stone-cold masterpiece. All I can say is there's a Spanish Blu-ray, it has English subtitles, import it, buy it, bring it into your country. It's extensively a sports movie so i guess it's like really remotely tangentially related to martial arts for those of you who didn't hear me talk about it before i will very very briefly sum it up a uh, championship level basketball coach gets drunk it gets done for drunk driving and given community service instead of jail time the community service is to train a like a little uh, like a community league basketball team which he's fine with until he finds out that all of them have disabilities of one kind or another and he is initially absolutely like dis- like he's he's gross about his disgust with this concept and it's quite a like a traditional self-realization like sort of you know becoming the better version of yourself narrative within that format i don't think there's another director in the world who could have handled it other than javier fesser mm-hmm. like anyone else would have either fallen into like gross out punching down horribleness or m- like mawkish 
over-sentimental saccharine fucking bullshit. Mm. That isn't to say that I didn't cry at the end of this film. I did. It absolutely gutted me. Every one of the people cast in the film who represents someone with a disability has that disability in real life. Everyone Mm. is representing themselves. Like, the background of this film is absolutely charming. It seems like it was a really beautiful thing to have taken part in. There's a lot of, like, freedom and, and feeling seen going on in the making of the film. But even without all of that background insight, it's a it's a very good sports movie. This is coming from someone who doesn't care about sports movies. Uh, so, you know, make of that what you will. It's a it's a very good sort of like personal journey movie. And it's very, very fucking funny. But it's charming and it never punches down. It's a delight. Excellent. Yeah, I have yet to see that even though you have recommended it before. So, you know, sorry about that. But yeah. Check, check your local. I reckon your rental place might have it. Sam, I honestly, I cannot recommend it enough. It's so good. Oh, awesome. Excellent. I'll I'll check with Movie Madness and yeah, love it. Excellent. All right. Well, I'm also going to recommend something that we've talked at length about on the podcast before. And it's something that Dan definitely has seen because we've watched it together. But uh, I'm going to recommend the entire Zatoichi series. Um, this is you mean the movie series or the TV series? The movie series, definitely not the TV series. Um, the TV series is good, man. Yes, but we're a film podcast, Dan. We're a film podcast. Yeah, we've recommended TV before, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, solid but, choice, absolutely fucking great. Yeah, I ca- I can't not recommend it. it features another uh, disabled warrior who possibly has the force, taking on bad guys and absolutely <laughs> kicking ass. Every film in this series is wonderful, so start at the start and work your way through. It's on Blue in the UK and the US, and it's on the Criterion channel in the States, so there are plenty of ways to watch it. Um, But you really, really should watch uh, all of these movies if you love Crippled Avengers, because, yeah, you'll just be blissfully happy for many, many hours. Yeah, Yeah. so good. It's it's a really interesting difference in tone between... uh... Chinese and Japanese martial arts films and I would say that like Shaw and Zato like movies kind of sum up perfection of the two sides Mm, yeah I'd say so and there is like there's comedy in Zatoichi there is kind of the the slapstick stuff to a certain extent but um yeah totally very different but both just fucking cool as fuck so um that's it for recommendations let's move on to what we've been watching in the past couple of weeks dan what have you seen recently i watched one of jen's favorite comedies that i'd never seen and she was reticent about showing it to me and i mentioned it to her like out of context like you know separately in conversation and she was like oh my god have you seen it and i was like no no i've never seen it she was like i'd oh i'd watch that with you right now and we're like right stop what we're doing we're gonna watch it right now this is over christmas mm-hmm. and we, we literally just downed tools in the house and, <laughs> <laughs> and sat down and we watched from 1942 it's ernst lubitsch's to be or not to be oh nice I, is this the only oh, ernst lubitsch you haven't seen or is that kind of a bit no of a it's early spot? on I, I i i am off the top of my head i don't know what else i've seen of Lubitsch's stuff Mm -hmm. like he's not someone like he's definitely obviously he's a name I knew but he's not someone like I I, I'm not like oh you know I've just got this one left to tick off right it's yeah it's absolutely amazing like I'd I think I probably heard of the Lubitsch effect before but I didn't Mm -hmm. know what it referred to for our listeners who are in the position that I was in a few weeks ago Lubitsch his his direction of fast-paced and incredibly witty dialogue is so good 
that it mm. got its own name within the Hollywood community. I have a friend who I I care deeply for. He doesn't like the Marx Brothers, and his complaint about the Marx Brothers is that it's it, it makes him like feel almost panicked because the jokes are coming so thick and fast. Mm. That that like you get anxiety that you're missing stuff. <laughs> I would say Ernst Lubitsch's dialogue is like if you took Marx Brothers dialogue, took out half the puns, amped the other quality up like fifty to eighty percent, and then slowed it down to half speed. <laughs> Off the back of this, and we haven't done this for a little while, I'm going to do a little call to action for our listeners. Could you please recommend me your favourite cinematic farces? I absolutely love a farce. I've never... One of my greatest regrets... and It's not a regret, that's the wrong word. One of my greatest sadnesses in cinema is that there have not been any really great Joe Orton adaptations. I'm not talking about Prick Up Your Ears, which is great, but also sad and not a farce. I mean, like, you know, the the adaptation of Loot. None of them have really hit the mark. Like, I, I love him on stage. I've never seen him done well on screen. I love a good farce. So please, we'll do our social media handles at the end of the podcast. Uh, please at me with your, your favourite farces, because I want more. I need more farces, please. All right. Well, I, I've got some for you, okay? So um, oh. 20th Century, I which I recommended uh, on the... Um, yes, on I put previous. it on my list, but mm-hmm. I didn't get to it. Is it? It's a farce, is it? It's a farce. It's on um, uh, Indicator and, yeah, really, Amazing. really great disc. Another uh, Lubitsch movie, uh, Trouble in Paradise from 1932. That's my favourite. I know the name. I haven't seen it. Yeah, so so that's a wonderful one. And have you seen My Man Godfrey? No, I don't think I have. Okay, well, um, you love the Thin Man movies, right? I do indeed. Well, um, yeah, it's the it's the same actor um, in that, and yeah, oh, it's, amazing! It's William Powell, and it's also um, Carol Lombard. And um, yeah, the the premise is basically uh, a a socialite finds like a a, a homeless guy, like a a vagrant and decides to employ him as her butler for shits and giggles. He has an interesting backstory that is uh, revealed over the course of the film. But yeah, it's it's a wonderful movie. Um, And I believe I think that's on the Criterion Collection as well. So um, my man Godfrey is another recommendation for you, Dan. Um, that's amazing i will be writing all those down i'm pretty certain jen will watch all of those with me oh absolutely um, these are all definite gen movies for i sure. look forward to what other what other people can recommend I, like bring them all like i don't not just golden era bring me modern farces bring me 80s farces bring me foreign language farces the whole lot i'll take everything i can get this is my new thing now awesome well i look forward to future recommendations uh in this genre because i i love it too my first recommendation based on the past couple of weeks uh was actually one of shay's tapes so you watched a gen movie i watched a shay movie um it's called vanishing act and it is such a gem it's almost up there with stuff like the silent partner but sadly possibly because of the generic title like vanishing act isn't particularly exciting uh it's fallen under the radar and i don't really hear anyone talking about it but it stars mike farrell as harry a guy on honeymoon with his new wife or at least he's supposed to be she's gone missing and so he rushes to the police station but like there's a parade going on so all of the police are out at this parade it's kind of like a small town but eventually he finds elliot gould who is kind of a colombo-esque detective and his quirk is like well it seems to be initially that he's really into sandwiches but that kind of goes away but anyway <laughs> I, i'm focusing on unimportant details because yeah this guy's wife's missing and so he teams up with elliot gould to find her uh, that is until relatively early in the film margot kidder 
turns up. Um, she's been found by a, a priest who, who calls the station and says, I found the missing wife. So they go along and she, you know, she's happy to see her husband. Unfortunately, the husband isn't happy to see her because he has no idea who she is. She is not his wife, according to him. And so, yeah, it thus begins a really, really amazing mystery. It's just a brilliant premise that's delivered beautifully. Great twists, wonderful performances, vanishing act. It's a high, high recommendation. Someone needs to pick this one up and release it. It was such a joy from start to finish. And yeah, great cast, obviously. I think it was originally a TV movie. Elliot Gould just has great taste with TV movies because obviously Silent Partner was a TV movie as well. So um, I yeah. I forget that. Exactly, yeah, yeah. But yeah, Vanishing Act, big recommendation. Um, yeah, that's it. Um, before I get into my next recommendation, I realise I didn't give anything remotely approaching uh, <laughs> a synopsis for To Be or Not To Be. So I'm going to do that quickly and then cool. I'm going to go straight into my next one. Um, so To Be or Not To Be was made in 1942. Uh, it's set in Poland. It follows a theatrical troupe at the beginning of the Second World War. So Hitler's on the rise of power but hasn't invaded Poland yet. And they're going to do a, a satirical play about Hitler and they get the the news that they that the government doesn't want them to do it in case it upsets Hitler and then before they can really get around from the oh my god I can't believe our art is being stymied in this way Poland is invaded and suddenly they are all under um uh under sort of Nazi rule so that's the the, the context of the film the movie itself is a kind of closing doors farce both sort of war politics and then also romantic because you've got a a leading uh lady leading man couple in the theater troupe and she has like low-key eyes for uh an american air forceman and they get embroiled in a uh an information loop that could i could turn the the local politics in some way i won't go too far into it but it's an absolute delight it's you know obviously the the war is is very much in the minds of everybody in the in the crew and the and the intended audience at the time it's another one of those movies where it's like oh my goodness this is so like present in the film it's absolutely fantastic as i'm sure you can imagine because they were going to stage this uh, this nazi play they've got a lot of nazi costumes that allow them to uh, to pull off some shenanigans it's a very light-hearted comedy given uh, the the gruesomeness of some of the stuff that's happening in the film mm-hmm. um it's an absolute delight i'll tell you what's not an absolute delight i mean it is i loved it but it's miserable i was invited to a screening as part of the baltic film festival that was being held at the cinema museum up the road from us which is uh, always a lovely venue to go to and always nice to be invited to to this sort of like semi-outsider screenings. Uh, and I saw this movie from 2019, although it hasn't had a UK release yet, I don't think. Or, or if it has, it, it kind of disappeared because, you know, mainstream audiences don't know what's good for them. By uh, a director called Lena Luzait. I'm massacring that, I, I apologise. It's called The Castle. It's an Irish Eastern European co-pro. It's about uh, an immigrant family, uh, a single mother and her daughter, both musicians living in Ireland. The mother, despite being a sort of concert level pianist is working in a fish factory a sort of fish cleaning factory the daughter has aspirations to be a pianist and the mother is trying to quash them because she sees like artistic endeavor as a a road to disappointment and sadness and then living with them is the is the grandmother 
uh, the, the mother's mother, who has, uh, has quite serious dementia at this point, needs constant supervision, constant care. And the movie follows the, the little girl, uh, the daughter, possibly getting a paid gig to play for a, an important uh, Irish politician. And it's uh, it's a it's a huge deal, but her mother is is not as supportive as she want she would want, and it's about the the length she goes to to make it happen. It's bittersweet, it's poignant, it's very very sad and very uplifting at the same time. Uh, it's never mawkish. It's absolutely fantastic. It made me cry. Whoa! <laughs> which is really, all I all I want from cinema these days. Wow! Yeah, and that's that's very um, rare. Yeah, it's well. You say it's very rare. I think it's the second film I've mentioned in this episode. So yeah, I'm just you know hitting gold all the time now, I guess. But but yeah, it's an absolute treat. It's called The Castle. I can't recommend it highly enough. Excellent sand trap. I picked this one up on VHS from a guy who came to our new house with a carload of tapes. I took a chance on it because it's a PM Entertainment release, and I love those guys. Like T Force is fantastic hologram man and and the the wonderful death chase which was the game before the game um but Sandtrap probably has the most in common with death chase because it's an original thriller as opposed to kind of a blockbuster ripoff and pm actually distributed it rather than making it but anyway it's great it's about a mild-mannered dude who's having a romantic night in with his wife when a home invader changes his life forever now that is the most vague description i could come up with because (laughs) sandtrap has so many fantastic twists and turns um but i do have to specifically highlight the third act which is wonderful it has maybe my all-time favorite character arc in american cinema um yeah the kind of final shot is just (laughs) insane and wonderful really really great sandtrap i massively recommend it if you don't have a guy coming to your house with a bunch of tapes in the back of his car, you can actually watch this one on YouTube, I've discovered. So it borders on cheesy in places. But yeah, if you give it a chance as a kind of indie gem, I think uh, anyone listening to this will have a lot of fun with it. Sandtrap from 1997, I recommend it. Extra features. Extra features? Extra features, extra features, extra features. Extra features. <laughs> no extra features from me that's it excellent all right let's move on to social media dan how can people follow you uh i'm at 13 finger fx uh on twitter and on instagram and i would like you to send me your fast recommendations please wonderful i am at sam ashes 23 the number two the number three on instagram i've all but abandoned twitter for the time being so please follow me for extra recommendations because uh i will occasionally post screen grabs of the weird stuff that i've been watching yeah that's it all right well anything else to say dan or should we uh that's it that's all i've got well thank you so much for listening and we promise to be more professional next time next time bye-bye bye